every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I am your host, Brian Carney. My guest today is Philip Kuntz. Philip is a former Navy SEAL that is now a motivational speaker as well as an author. He uses his lessons that he learned in the SEALs to help others apply them in their personal, professional, and family lives. Philip, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Brian, for having me out. It's an honor and a privilege. Love it. Um, so for this episode, I'm going to be drinking a, a brewery out here in Westchester, Pennsylvania, that's quickly become uh, one of my favorites. They have uh, a, a beer that I love called Cloudy and Cumbersome. So this one is called Fictional Characters. I've never tried this. So we'll give this a shot and then, and then we'll give it a rating at the end. Sounds good. You know, is it ever too early to start drinking? I'm not real sure, but I have a, a couple of my brews uh, out here as well, too. You know, Colorado, it's like New York, how there's a how there's a Starbucks on every corner. Well, out here, there's like a microbrewery on every corner, you know, so there's a couple pretty famous ones that are out here. Uh, one is the Breckenridge Brewery. And then the other one that's literally right down the street from my house is the Pikes Peak Brewery. Oh, wow. And uh, I'm, I've got a big, I'm like on a big IPA kick lately. So I've got uh, Pikes Peak Brewery. I got the Elephant Rock. Uh, this is uh, an Indian pale ale and, uh, it's one that's, that's, uh, pretty, pretty darn tasty. And I like this one too, because they named this after the rock that's actually on my street. So it's a big rock structure that from the side, it actually looks kind of like an elephant. So that's all awesome. the elephant. It's called the elephant rock India pale ale. So if you've, if you've never had it, definitely put this in your, uh, in your beer repertoire. I'm, I'm going to have to review that one. Thank you very yep. much. And cheers to you. Thanks for coming on. Yep. Cheers. So I've never had a uh, Navy SEAL on before, so I'm pretty excited about this. But before we get into that, talk a little bit about your business and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a public speaker. Uh, I've been a public speaker for about the last seven years. And, you know, I never got out of the SEAL teams like a lot of guys do. And they're like, oh, I want the center stage. I want to be a public speaker kind of thing. So uh, I got out and uh, honorably discharged in 2009, late 2009. I was a contractor for a couple of years teaching the Green Beret sensitive site exploitation on Fort Bragg and then uh, actually became a pastor. Wow. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people are scratching their head like, wait, wait a second. Like, hold on. Uh, how, did, how did you move from, from, a, from a Navy SEAL to a pastor? You know, like what? How so logical is yeah, I was like, hey, God's just moving me from the physical fight to the spiritual fight. So <laughs> I was I was doing that for a while. Uh, and then I actually went back to school to get my master's in leadership. And about halfway through, my dad, who's also a financial advisor, uh, has been for about 30 years now. He calls me up. And he's like, hey, how about you fly out to Cincinnati? I'll fly you out and you can uh, speak to a bunch of my clients. We'll do like a big client appreciation event. And I'm like, sure, dad what's a client appreciation event? You know? <laughs> so that was kind of the birth of my speaking uh, business about, about seven years, a little over seven years ago now, and been going strong, been having a great year uh, this year. And 
just keep doing what I'm doing. I bring my gear with me. I'm telling stories and showing videos and I'm a really practical guy. So I really want to make it practical for people. Uh, so I actually own three businesses. That's one. The second one, I'm a life and business coach as well, okay. too, which is, you know, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. And then uh, if you want the backstory sometime during this podcast, I can give it to you. But I'm also the uh, now the new proud owner of Karam Tactical Knives. So oh, wow. here's my my wicked uh, claw talon shaped uh, pocket knife. Great for self-defense and amazing just everyday carry. So I'm now the new proud owner of this kind of a cool backstory, but I don't want to monopolize the time here, man. So uh, we can get into this. We're definitely going to talk about that because I, I, I find that fascinating, too. Yep. So that, that's great. So we have three businesses. So you go from being a pastor to, to running three businesses, which is awesome. So, you know, you go back to your to your past and doing some research about you. You graduate from college and you have you go and take a pretty what I would call typical nine to five marketing job. How long were you there before you realize it? Uh, this ain't this ain't for me. <laughs> I joke around, man. Cor corporate America is the only thing that ever got me to ring that figurative bell in life. You know, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, oh man, I was there for probably eight months. And I, if you've ever seen the movie Office Space, that was totally me. I was like stuck in a cubicle doing my TPS reports, right? <laughs> and wearing suits all day, no, you know, not in front of any clients. I'm like, why am I wearing this suit when I'm just stuck in this cubicle? You know, so. Yeah, I was there for about eight months and decided, you know, this is really just, it's not for me. And I could have stuck it out, but I was like, I don't want to be that guy that wakes up when I'm 40 years old and has a midlife crisis and wondering what the heck I just did for the last 20 years of my life, you know? Yeah. So, so I decided to punch out and, uh, and join, and, and join the military. Yeah, that, that's great. So, so you decided to join the military then, and then when did you decide that you wanted to become a SEAL? I, I kind of knew right away. Okay. Yeah. So I actually went over to the army side first and they said, well, you know, you're 23 years old. Uh, you know, you can come in, but you have to do about two years to serve about two years in the infantry before you can go to special forces and go to the Q course, which is, which is uh, the training regimen for the green beret. So I was like, yeah, I didn't like the sound of that. I was kind of a cocky 23 year old, you know, college grad, you know, I already had some life experience. So I thought, and, uh, and so I went across the hall literally to the Navy side and, uh, and they said, oh, well, you've already got your degree. So not only can you go right into, you know, boot camp. At that time, I had to pick an A school, which is like your job in, in, the, in the Navy. Yeah. Because the above, BUDS attrition rate is like 80, 90%. So when guys quit, they have to know where to send them back out to the fleet. So you have to have a job. So boot camp, A school, and then I could go right into BUDS. And, and the kicker, the, the icing on the cake was they said, hey, even though you're going enlisted right now, since you have your college degree, we'll give you an additional eight thousand uh, dollars for for having your degree. And I was like, done. <laughs> <I'd be honest. laughs> eight thousand dollars to a twenty three year old is like you know one hundred and fifty grand. I know, right? That's a lot of money right yeah. there. So yeah, that's great. So talk a little bit about. I'm, I'm interested. You know what what your experience like was in buds and and Hell Week and all that. You know, I, I obviously that that's talked about a lot as part of the SEAL experience. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, just one adversity after another, after another. I mean, Hell Week, all I really remember is that it was cold, dark, and wet. Hell Week usually falls around week four, week five of first phase. And that's where about 40% of the attrition rate happens is right there in Hell Week. So it starts on a Sunday night and it secures or ends the following Friday afternoon. Okay. And uh, that's where we go for five and a half days with one hour of sleep. They give us one hour on a Thursday morning, which honestly, between you and me, Brian, sucks because you don't want to have to wake up and still 
you know, go through that training. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they, you're constantly cold, constantly wet, constantly tired. Uh, we're covered with sand, you know, from head to toe, the instructors call us sugar cookies. They're like, go make yourself a sugar cookie. So that's good. Jump in the ocean and then roll around in the sand, throwing sand everywhere till we literally have sand covering us from, from head to toe and, and, and buds. And so it's, it's uh, like I said, it's a lot of adversity. Buds is divided into three phases. So first phase is where the majority of that attrition rate happens. My buds class two, five, three, we started with 223 guys and we finished with 21. Wow. So de depending on how cold the water is and what time of the year you go through, uh, we'll, we'll pretty much determine what the attrition rate is. So I, I went through hell week during December. So I you know, had the full benefit of having a, the Pacific, like in the mid, mid, uh, in the mid fifties. Uh, so it's, it was, it was pretty cold out there. That's crazy. You tell, you have a funny story in your book. We'll talk about your book in a second about, uh, the, the time that they filled the back of a truck with a hot tub and brought Krispy Kremes and sort of begged people to quit. That's, that's, Oh yeah. That, the instructors. Yeah. They are very, very creative in, in how they try to get you to quit. I mean, it's, it's like a no holds bar. Like they'll, they'll, they'll try anything and everything uh, to get you to quit. So yeah, that's first phase. Second phase is all about diving. So that's the second two months. And then third phase is all about land warfare and, uh, you know, land navigation, field training exercises, that sort of thing. Half of that time is spent out on San Clemente Island, uh, where it's just us and the sharks out there and, and uh, we're doing our thing. Wow. Besides being wet, cold and tired, what's the worst part about the, the BUDS program? Yeah, you know, people ask me a lot. They say, you know, Phil, is, is, is SEAL training's BUDS, is it more physical or is it more mental? And I say it's at least 75% mental. Yeah. And about 20, 25% physical because it's designed to, to tear your body down. You know, no, no star athlete is going to show up to buds and just be able to make it through unscathed physically. Yeah. And so it's just a matter of time before you know, your body breaks down. And, uh, you know, it's, I've had a lot of, of injuries. I had cellulitis in my elbow and, and uh, it was like all infected in my arm and everything right after hell week. And I thought I was going to get medically rolled for that. And I had issues with my IT band in my right leg and thought I was going to get rolled for that at some point. And I mean, you're like, your career is always just hanging on a thread, you know? And, and yeah. so, yeah, I'd say it's, it's definitely more, more mental than it is, uh, than it is physical for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, what does Hollywood typically get wrong about the Navy SEALs experience? <laughs> well, <laughs> if you go all the way back to like Charlie Sheen, Navy SEAL, <laughs> and then like G.I. Jane, the answer to their question is everything. They get like everything wrong, right? <laughs> I, I joke around. The only thing accurate thing about G.I. Jane was the fact that they had a bell there for, for guys to, to ring to D.O.R. as a drop on request where you have to ring that bell three times. Uh, but but actually here lately, uh, they're, they're pretty good. You know, the, the movies that are out there, they're pretty accurate. I like each one of them for different reasons. Uh, but not a lot of people realize that they have active duty Navy SEALs on set, hmm. making sure that, you know, they're teaching them the standard operating procedures and teaching them the lingo and, and all of that. And I mean, you know, I'm scratching my head over here on the other side, like, I understand Hollywood that you want to make a whole lot of money, right? With this, with this movie, but you realize that Americans aren't the only ones that are watching these movies. Right. And you're, you're giving away like a lot of vital information on the big screen. Yeah. So, good so point. yeah, they, uh, yeah, so they, they, they do a pretty good job uh, of portraying the missions of seals, but uh, that's, that is far from, from accurate as far as just what an average day in the life of a Navy seal really looks like.
Yeah. So unlike Hollywood to uh, misportray something. <laughs> Very That's sorry. why there's a truckload of guys that always sign up for buds because they want to, they want to be that guy that they see on the, in the movies, you know, and, and it's like, Oh crap, this is it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, this is uh, the worst day of my life and I'm going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to your background in college, you were a division one swimmer, um, which I found in my, in my professional life that, people that have played sports either in, you know, at a high level in, in high school or college end up becoming great coworkers because of all the things that they learn about mm -hmm. dealing with a team and, and that sort of thing. Have you found that to be true both in your professional life as well as your, as well as your SEAL life? Yeah, I have, I have actually, um, yeah, swimming. I, I swam competitively for 12 years and, uh, it taught me a lot of hard work ethic. It taught me a lot of discipline, a lot of grit. Uh, you know, it's a lot of failure. You know, what do you do when you're failing, you know, and you're not, not you're not making your times, you know, and yes. as individualistic as this, the sport of swimming might seem, it's also highly a team, a team sport as well too, because depending on how you and your teammates perform and rank within those, those events will determine who, you know, who, who comes out on top at the end. Yeah. Well, so you get you get done your your military career. How do you become a pastor? Or yeah, so I was uh, I was out in North Carolina uh, with my family uh, doing my my thing. I was a sensitive site exploitation instructor out there, and uh, the contract had dried up. It was about a year and a half into it, and so I'm kind of wondering what's next. And and then all of a sudden, my dad calls me. Uh, my dad's pretty clutch in all of this. It sounds like. <laughs> every transition in my life but he uh, he's like hey you know the, the church that you went to that he was going to the vineyard church in cincinnati uh you know they're they're hiring they're hiring a, a community life pastor and i thought oh that sounds you know pretty cool and my my faith is a big part of my life and and kind of essential in, in in the cornerstone you know of my life and yeah. it, i attribute being able to get through through buds a lot with uh with my faith and uh, so i was like yeah okay that sounds you know decent so i applied and and I was, uh, I didn't, little did I know at the time, I was up against like this PhD uh, candidate who had had 30 years of ministry experience and, you know, just blew me out of the water on paper. And, uh, and they ended up going with me, you know, they wow. said, Hey, we want, we want some fresh blood. We want someone who hasn't been inundated, you know, with, with ministry and, and all the, the politics that you can sometimes see in churches. And, uh, and so I decided to take a leap of faith and, and uh, move my family to, to Cincinnati, Ohio, where I was a pastor for about to uh, close to two years. And then at that point, I took a lateral transfer out here to, uh, to Colorado, which is where I'm currently living with my wife and five kids. So I was a community life pastor at a vineyard church that was out here that moved me out to, uh, to Aurora in okay. Colorado. And I was there for about a year and a half or so until I decided to go back to school and get my master's in leadership. Amazing. That's amazing. So when, what made you decide to go back and, and get your master's in leadership and what made you realize that what you can teach people, there's a, that, that could actually be a business? Yeah, so I've been through, and this is probably going to surprise a lot of people, but I've actually been through some really poor leadership models and, and had some real life, pretty poor leadership examples shown to me in the SEAL teams. Interesting. Uh, yeah, for the first, actually... My first platoon, uh, my my OIC, and uh, he was he was pretty good. My officer in charge, he was pretty good. I can't share names, but my uh, my platoon chief though, his nickname was Sam because he was a small, angry man. <laughs> so he would 
he would just walk around barking orders at people, very much of a micromanager, very much of a, a dictatorial type of leader. And, uh, and so really, that was one of the things that really motivated me. I love relationships. I love people. I love being able to, to, to develop people and really pour into them. And uh, so I thought, you know what, leadership is, I, th I think, the, the way to go just because there's so many poor leaders out there, just yeah. because you have the position doesn't automatically make you a great leader, right? And in the military, just because you have the rank doesn't automatically make you a great leader. So I witnessed a lot of poor leadership in my life. And I thought, you know what, I need to start really learning for myself what it means to, to first lead myself well, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you can't hope to lead anyone else around you if you can't first learn to lead yourself well. So what yeah. does that look like? And uh, really took a journey for about two and a half years getting my master's in leadership. And, and that's one of my talks that I give today called three-dimensional leadership that, that really kind of unpacks a lot of those core principles. That's great. So I, I, I found a couple of things interesting as far as leaders are concerned is that people that have to tell you they're a good leader typically aren't. Right. You found that to be true? Yeah. It's kind of like the people who claim to be humble. And you're like, right. eh, not really. <laughs> I believe that's called a humble brag. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, if you run across someone who claims to be a really great leader, I, I would every every single time, 10 times out of 10, you do a deep dive into that person's life or into their organization and their team. And you, you find that, that they're really a train wreck. And, and yeah. that's just really like smokescreen is kind of a facade and just letting everybody try to convince everybody else that they're a good leader when when in fact they're really not. Yeah, what are some of the most common mistakes you see, you know, leaders make when they're trying to lead a team? Yeah, you know, the, the and, and as, as human beings, our desire to control things is kind of innately instilled within us. So yeah. from the outside looking in, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm at times I'm a control freak as well, too. And yeah. especially when our circumstances, I mean, just like the last two years and COVID and the quarantine, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns that are out there. There's a lot of variables and, and a lot of people feel pretty insecure. And so then their natural tendency is to try to, even though they're feeling insecure within them, is to try to control everyone else in their environment the best that they can. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I mean, that there's a lot, but that was the first one that comes to my head is a common leadership mistake or are those leaders who don't know how to breathe and quiet themselves and regain structure and control in their own life yeah. uh, and, and instead try to, to micromanage and control other people around them. So, you know, my way or the highway kind of thing or do as I say, not as I do, those types right. of leaders are yeah. really pretty toxic. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. So you, what are some of the lessons that you teach people throughout your speaking engagements? Yeah, so uh, one of my, my most sought after talks right now is called Overcoming Adversity. And we talk about five P's, the five uh, characteristics that I really learned in training and in the SEAL teams as well, too. The first one is perseverance. The second one is positivity. The third is preparation. The fourth is your pack or who you choose to hang out with directly has an impact on, on who you are, your attitudes and interests and beliefs. And then the last one is progress and the role that failure plays, making mistakes, even in the midst of overcoming adversity and trying to get over that, that, that hump of, oh my gosh, I'm continually making all these mistakes. How do I learn from those mistakes? So those are five like pretty powerful words in my, in my vocabulary that I, I like to, to really encourage my audience 
to, to grasp hold of, right? And we unpack it with stories and with definitions and, and, and pictures and, and videos and, and all of that. So try to do a good job within an hour of uh, unpacking sure. all of that that is, you know, the best that I can. Well, I mean, you have a pretty crazy background in fighting through adversity. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, your, your wife died when she was in her early 30s? Yeah, 32 years old. She was uh, she was diagnosed six months after we were married. Her name was Danielle. And uh, she was, uh, yeah, just having a hard time getting out of bed. We're scratching our head like, what's going on? And uh, drove to Balboa Hospital at the age of 28 years old. Six months after we were married, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Uh, it, had, it had metastasized to her sternum, was in 26 of her lymph nodes from her waist up. And uh, she fought it for four hard long years and, and, uh, and passed away. The, the day before Valentine's Day on February 13th of 2008. How, how do you prepare to be a wit to be widowed in your, or how, how do you deal with being widowed when you're in your early thirties? Yeah. Uh, anybody who raises their hand and says, I know how to do that is lying. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I like to say that grief does not fight fair <laughs> and, and every, everyone goes through a certain amount of grief within their life. And, and uh, the Kubler-Ross, you know, five stages of grief are very, very real, very accurate. And at times you're, you're angry and then, you'll, and then you'll move all the way over here to, to depression and bargaining. And then you're kind of bouncing all around and back and forth. And, you know, it takes a while. And so, I mean, for those people who are grieving or have lost someone or lost a job or, I mean, anything, you know, we, we can grieve even the loss of opportunity. Right. And I had to work. I had to work through that. I'm like, I'm never going to become a Navy SEAL again because of a lot of the physical ailments that I have right now in my body. I'm not ever really going to probably be a contractor and go overseas, even though I really wanted to. In uh, last year, in August, about a year ago, uh, when we when we got out of Afghanistan the way that we did, oh, that's a whole different conversation, I guess, for a different time. But uh, yeah, grieving the loss of opportunity. So. Take your time, grieve well, and make sure, uh, as far as your pack goes, make sure you have a good four or five people uh, that are close that you can be transparent with and vulnerable with. Make sure you go get help if you need to. I've, I've had to get help before, you know, counseling and seeing a, uh, a psychologist and doing some EMDR work, you know, and, and I really had to put in some, some work and, and, and getting more tools in my tool belt and, and, and healing in a way that, that was outside of my own ability to be able to do that, so... I tell people there's no there's no Rambo's in the SEAL teams. You know, it's it's OK. It's OK if you're struggling. Right. You give yourself permission to not be OK and to reach out. And uh, it's it just makes you human. Yeah, absolutely. I, that, that's a great message. Um, one of the things that we that's come up a couple of times on this podcast is business owners identify with their success as a business owner so often that yep. once they retire or sell their business, they lose their identity. From what I understand, similar things happen to people leaving the military where they, once they leave the military, their sort of, their whole identity that they spent for X amount of years is now gone. How yeah. would you help people deal with that sort of an issue? Yeah, such a great question, Brian. And the same is true, like in the NFL, same is right. true in sports. I mean, the same is true pretty much across the board. You know, yes. my, my wife, just graduated nursing school. She's working now as a nurse. And a lot of our identity right now is, is in her nursing, you know, and so medical field, military, you name it, right? Financial uh, industry, it's, it's across the board. Um, I would tell them to 
Well, first of all, one of the things that I do in my life in business coaching is I really help people. So first of all, I have them take personality tests Yeah. because regardless of what you do does not define who you are. So taking personality tests, discovering kind of how God made you, what makes you tick, you know, how, how are you wired? You know, Gallup Strength Finders tests are great. The 16 PI personality test, it used to be called the Myers-Briggs is great. The Enneagram is great. Uh, there's a lot of tests that are out there, the DISC profile. Uh, that will really help you kind of get a better understanding of who you are. I call that EQ training, emotional intelligence training. Yeah. So I would encourage people. I said, you know, just do a deep dive into, into yourself. You know, how, how do you tick? What makes you who you are? Gain that EQ. And then the second thing that I do is I always have them define their core values, mm -hmm. both their personal values and their professional values. And then look out there and say, you know, what, what makes me happy? What gives me purpose? And that was one of the things that I really struggled with when I got out of the military. And I think being a pastor, kind of falling into that position was a good thing for me because I got out of the military and I'm like, I'm not really making that much of a difference right now. You know, one of the reasons why I joined the military is so I could, you know, make a direct impact on the evil in this world. You know, I could right. live for something much bigger than myself, right? Yeah. And when we get so wrapped around that and then all of a sudden we lose our jobs or it's time to transition into another stage of life, it's hard to not allow that identity to really emotionally impact us yep. to the point where there's a lot of people who get depressed and even suicidal, you know, because they just like lost their identity. So. Yep, you're, you're so right. It, not to bring up a movie, but that reminds me of the movie, The Hurt Locker. When, yeah. Uh, when, when Jeremy Renner goes home and he's in the in the uh, grocery store and he can't really handle like the mundane life of being in the grocery store. So that, that's kind of an interesting uh, part that, yeah. that Hollywood has as far as losing identity. You know, the VA does a, a decent job nowadays, I think. But, you know, you can you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't force them to drink kind of thing. So, you know, it's it's up to the veteran themselves to really get the help and the support that they need. And unfortunately, there's a lot of veterans that they they just feel hopeless, you know, and they don't they, they feel trapped. And, you know, the 20 there's a there's a statistic that 21 every 21 seconds. There's there's a uh, no. Sorry. The statistic is that 21 veterans commit suicide a day. Wow. So 21 veterans commit suicide a day. And and uh, that's got to that's got to stop. You know, we have to do a good job of. And what you can do, what I can do, what a lot of people can do out there is just the power of presence, you know, just, just give them a platform to talk, you know, yep. just listen, do, do a really good job of actively listening to them uh, and being able to empathize with them. So anyways, that's, that's my, my, my caveat. That's usually, that's, that's really important. And it's good to hear that there are outlets for, for veterans struggling with that uh, available to them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my book. Yeah, your uh, book. So yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I got a copy here. It's called The Truth Behind My Trident. I basically, Brian, I basically wrote the book that I wish I would have read before going through the training. Uh, <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't have discouraged me, you know, from getting into the military, going into the Navy, uh, but it would have helped me go in with eyes wide, wider open than, the, than what they were. So like we said earlier, Hollywood does a really good job of portraying the missions of SEALs, but that's only about 3%, 3, 3% of our time spent boots on the ground conducting missions as Navy SEALs. So I wanted to capture the other 97% in my book. Uh, and it's a personal journey of my, my life before, during, and after the SEAL teams. And uh, you know, it's a relatively short read. I didn't want to make a really long, cumbersome book for guys to, 
to have to read. So you can you can finish it on a two hour plane uh, plane flight, you know. And I want to make it really practical. So I talk about my go bag and hey, what are the tools that are in your go bag and really trying to help people figure out how to better overcome the adversity and the obstacles that they face in their own personal lives and professional lives as well too. That, that's great. I, and you have a quote in there that I really, really like. It says, don't surrender your lifelong dreams to escape temporary pain. Explain a little bit about what you mean by that and how that, that fits into to what you teach people. Yeah, I mean, that's all about perspective, is it not? I mean, we can have a bad day. You can have the worst day of your life. You know, these guys and buds, they're, they're going through the suck, right? And, and it's, it's awful. And they give up. They, they, they basically become so hyper-focused on what is going on in their life in that moment that they lose the perspective of where they're going. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have, and myself, I'm even tempted to do that sometimes. Sometimes, I mean, it's the age old, like you, you can't see the forest from the trees. You know, you're sitting, you're staring at the tree, you're sitting, you're staring at your pain and how, how bad it is, how much it hurts. And that's a legit thing. I'm not trying to minimize pain because it is legit sure. and you have to work through that pain, but being able to keep uh, that front sight focus, which is what we say in the military and the SEAL teams, being able to keep those goals, keep that three to five year plan, being able to keep that, that having a this two shall pass mentality, right? That light at the end of the tunnel, that perspective is so important when we're going through uh, really difficult times. Because if we're not careful, we can really allow that pain and misery to infiltrate our minds, really cause us to become very stagnant and paralyzed with fear. And then, you know, we're not making any progress whatsoever. Yeah, it's so true. It really is true. It, it is very easy to get sidetracked uh, off of making an easy choice uh, as opposed to, I, I heard the, uh, the saying that if you make hard choices, you have an easy life. If you make easy choices, you have a hard life. And I, I, yeah. I was, you know, just kind of explaining that to my son recently. So I, I totally agree with you there. Um, yeah. How, how, old is, how old are your kiddos? I have a 14-year-old daughter, a 13-year-old son, and an 11-year-old son. Okay. Yeah. How I've about got you? Five. Got five. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. We're all, we're all competitive, right? So I have to beat you in something. So, yeah, I got five <laughs> kids. Five kids. I've got a 16-year-old son. I also have a 14-year-old daughter. Uh, we're a blended family, so we have two 11-year-old sons. So I feel uh -huh. your pain with your 11-year-old son right there. And then I've got a 9-year-old daughter as well, too. So we've got uh, – she has three. I have two never a dull moment in the Coons household. So it's, uh, it's great though. Kids get along really well. And, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it, that's the reason why I got out of the military is it turns out that being a, a great Navy SEAL and a great dad are like oil and water, you know, they just, they don't mix, you know, and you can't have your cake and eat it too. In that case, you know, you can't, you can't make both work. So my value system was, I'm going to need to get out, you know, to be yeah. able to invest more time in my family. Cause I wanted to be the dad that shows up to you know, violin rehearsals and ballet performances and birthdays and Christmas. And, you know, I didn't want to miss that, you know, yeah. and, and, and have my kids grow up like, wow, I wish dad was more around, you know, and then what happens, it compounds, then, then they develop that mindset, they develop that, that demeanor as well, too. And then they bring that into their families when they're adults as well. And it's just, it's a pretty vicious cycle that from what I've seen. So, yeah, I mean, just being present, I think is a really physical presence as opposed to like being truly present are definitely two different things. And, and I think being able to do that for your kids is such a huge benefit to them for yeah. long term for, you know, umpteen reasons. Yep. Yep. I got, I got four words as it relates to that. And it's put your phone down. Oh, man. 
You are. I don't know if you're guilty of this, man. I am definitely guilty oh. of it. My kids are like, Dad, you have your phone again. Get off the phone. So I had to turn all my notifications off because as soon as that thing vibrates or dings, I'm like, it's like Pavlov's dog, you know? Like I'm, I'm picking it up and I'm checking it and everything, you know? And so I'm not going to be conditioned with uh, with that response. So I have to uh, constantly remind myself to put the phone down and, and, like you said, be present. Be very intentional about being present with with your kiddos you're so right about the phone we we talked about this in the last episode and and somebody took uh referred to it i read an article and they referred to it as doomsday scrolling and like sometimes i'll just be scrolling and scrolling and i'm like what am i doing i'm yeah. <laughs> right. happening. like i'm not missing anything so why am i doing this so you're right but anyway you're right. Right. well tell yeah. tell me a little bit about the knife business and how that came to be yeah, so way back in uh, when I was in the SEAL teams, I was in my first uh, platoon, and one of the guys bought a karambit knife, and I'm like, what the heck is a karambit knife, you know? And, and so, like, if one guy has a cool tool or a cool toy, you know, everybody else wants to get one too, right? Go this back to like the competition. Yeah, How the community works, right? So I was like, dude, that's freaking cool. Like, I want, I want one of those too. So I bought my, uh, I bought my first karambit. It easily and quickly became my my tertiary weapon that I had. So our primary weapons are M4s. Our secondary weapons are our SIG 226. The M4 shoots a 5.56 round. The SIG 226 shoots a 9 mil round. And then my my Karambit was my was my backup, was my tertiary weapon, which definitely got me out of some pretty hairy moments overseas. And uh, and so then, you know, I started publicly speaking. And I, like I mentioned, I bring my gear out there. So I'm passing my gear around. I'm going through the three lines of our gear and uh, I'm pulling out my knife, you know, and showing people about the karambit. And it's got a it's got a little pocket catch on it right here. So this clips on your pocket as you're pulling it out of your pants and it wow. automatically deploys. And so I'm pulling this thing out and showing it to everybody. And inevitably, you know, men and women, they're coming up to me afterwards like that's a cool knife. Like, where do I get one of those? So the whole like I'm a little slow on the uptake, but the whole entrepreneur <laughs> side of me was like, wait a minute, why don't I just buy like 20 of these at a time and sell them? And oh, I yeah. did, you know, because there's a lot of there's a lot of knockoffs that are out there. So uh, so I was selling them for about six years. And then in 2020, in August of 2020, the uh, the owner emails me and says, hey, you've been one of our most loyal customers. Uh, just letting you know, I'm selling the business. I've, oh. I've had it for seven years. It's going strong. He just kind of got tired of it. And he was like, do you want to buy the business? And I'm like, thought about it for like half a second. And I'm like, heck yeah, I do. <laughs> so uh, definitely covered it in a lot of prayer. Huge, huge decision. I reached out to some of my friends to see if they would be uh, business partners with me. And uh, one of my friends uh, said yes, looked at the business. He's actually a financial advisor oh, in wow. the D.C. area. So what's up, Will Simpkins? Love you, man. <laughs> so he's like the CFO. He, we're, uh, we're partners in crime together. And uh, so we've been we've been rocking and rolling with this thing for about the last year and a half and doing really, really well with it. So we just came out with our brand new. Uh, it's what I'm carrying right now. This is our white label UDT knife. It's the, the strongest one of the strongest steels on the planet. CPM 3V steel. We're we're punching through cinder blocks with this oh, thing wow. and then cutting paper afterwards. Right. So it, the edge retention is very good. And uh, it's made out of, of titanium and carbon fiber. So very, very light, very durable. Uh, but we've got we've got over 100 products on our website, wow. karambit.com. And you can pick up a knife anywhere from 10 bucks all the way up to a custom made Damascus steel cherry handle for 1700. You know, so wow. we, we sell kind of everything in between both both folders and uh, and fixed blades as well, too. If you're not uh, if you're listening to this on uh, and not watching it on YouTube, th that knife is no joke. It looks pretty, uh, pretty cool. I have to admit. 
I would come up to you afterwards and ask about it. So yeah, yeah, it's just Karam, it's karambit.com, K-A-R-A-M-B-I-T. Maybe you could put it in the you can uh, share sure. it or something in the ch- in the chat there. Yeah, karambit.com. And uh, yeah, man, we're we're uh, we're loving it. They're they're really great knives. I mean, I'm I'm carrying mine every day with me, so it's a, a great practical you uh, everyday carry EDC. And I'm popping like Legos off for my kids as I'm, playing, <laughs> I'm, I'm cutting food, man. I do a lot of pull ups in the gym, so I'm like trimming my calluses, and my yeah. kids are like, "Oh, that's gross!" Like, what are you doing, Dad? <laughs> and I, I'm doing everything with this thing. And yeah, I, I got to remember though to uh, to wash it between cutting my calluses and then cutting food, right? My yeah. wife would yell at me. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I use this thing for everything, opening boxes. I mean, it's, it's just a great tool. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Well, the, the reason that I reached out to you is that a, a couple of people that I work with went to go see you speak and they raved about how great it was and how much they, they enjoyed your talk. And like, they were like, Brian, you have to have this guy on. He's super interesting. So I appreciate you coming on. So if people want to learn a little bit more about you or wh- where they can hire you for speaking or, or to buy your book, yep. where do they go? Uh, just visit my website. It's philkuntz.com, P-H-I-L, and then K-O-O-N-T-Z, philkuntz.com. I, I joke around, you know, Dean Kuntz is pretty popular with his books. So I'm getting for some uh, some free marketing and advertising from Dean Kuntz. <laughs> you know, they look up Kuntz and my name will pop up. So, Whatever. so just like he spells his last name too. So philkuntz.com. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. And if you want to connect with me on the Untapped app, so you can see with these beers that I'm rating, my username is brcarney7. To learn more about how our firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. And to hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy-half-hour.com. Moment of truth. Levante, fictional characters. I loved it. Four and a half out of, out of five. You know, bums me out. I asked, I asked to do a live episode with the uh, brewers at Levante and they turned me down. It's kind of sad, but I still like their beer. Uh, t- well, tell, tell me- them, you know, tell them, you now know a Navy SEAL. So they better uh, take you up on your offer. I'm going to hunt them down. <laughs> That's right. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. how, how was uh, Elephant Rock? That was good. Very delicious. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a real hoppy IPA guy. So it's just, it's got just the, the right amount of hops and it's a, uh, it's a pale ale. So it, I, I like it. Uh, it's oh, that's delicious. Awesome. Yep. Excellent. Well, Phil, thanks so much for coming on. It was great to talk to you. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. You too, Brian. Thanks for having right. me, man. God Cheers. bless you. Thank you for listening to happy half hour with an entrepreneur sponsored by river's edge advisors. For more information on how River's Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.